Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this week, we have Corey Heiser, professional walleye tournament angler, on the show for the first time. It's really fun to get to know Corey in this interview. You know, Corey's story coming up in the professional tournament ranks as a walleye angler is, is seems a little bit different in my mind uh, from some of the other conversations that we've had. So it's really interesting and in, in, in how Corey has, the, you know, we're listening to the stories about how Corey has kind of developed both as a pro uh, on the business side of things and, and just how that affected him and how that helped him develop as an angler on the water. And, you know, whether you're a tournament angler or not, whether you're a walleye angler or not, this is a really, really fishy conversation and there's a lot to take away from this. You know, just a ton of learning lessons. I know for me, it just really broadened my perspective on, you know, just things you can do or different ways to to develop your skills and different ways to look at things and, and, and put yourself in a position to, you know, sort of sink or swim or learn something or build confidence. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I just really enjoyed this conversation. So I'm looking forward to the feedback on this show. Anyway, super enjoyable conversation with Corey Heiser. Uh, we're definitely going to have him on again. If you want to support the podcast, support the people that sponsor these episodes. This episode is brought to you by Devil's Lake Tourism. Head to devilslakeND.com to see what's a buzzing in that community and who knows you might discover your next adventure. Now let's get into this interview with Corey Heiser. To get to know you, Corey, we'll start here. Where are you from? Like, like I want to, I want to hear like your fishing origin story. Where were you born and raised? How were you? How were you introduced into fishing? Who were your mentors? I mean, early on, like, what would you consider to be your first home body of water? And like, start there and and just keep going. Bring us all the way up to speed to who you are today. Go for it. Sure. So it's kind of funny, you know, if you were to ask my mother, or my grandma that passed away, like where I was or who I was as a little boy, supposedly my first words were boat. And I used to sit in an orange toboggan, the old orange sleds, and uh, pretend I was fishing. I'd put my blankets in there and just kind of that's where it got started. My dad had done very little fishing, but some fishing when I was growing up. And if you look back through the archives, there's pictures of me when I was, you know, two to four years old on the on the, on the the shores of either the Hart River or Lake Sakakawea. Um, I was born and raised in Dickinson, North Dakota, so a western North Dakota boy. Um only an hour from the little Missouri arm of uh, Lake Sakakawea. I can remember trips up there when I was in high school. Actually, I had a four-wheel drive Mazda pickup that I'd with a topper, and I'd go up there and shore fish and stay for the weekend and had a, had a great time doing that. Um, fish a little bit out of a boat, and then my stepdad and I actually started to fish a little bit, and I had an individual by the name of Mike Holt. Um, some people in the fishing tournament industry kind of maybe have heard his name or know his name, but Mike Holt is a tournament director. Uh, he currently owns and operates the Minnesota tournament trail, but back in the late nineties, he was with USFA, uh, team walleye. And he came into a retail store I was running and had a fancy jacket, and I asked him, I said, well, what are you, what are you up to, who are you? And he said, well, I'm here for the, the Fargo Sportsman Show, and I've got a booth. I said, oh, really, what, uh, what are you doing? He said, well, we're, we're getting signups for our USFA Team Walleye um, tournament circuit. And I said, no, nah, that's really cool, and 
what's kind of the story? And well, they had tournaments on Big Stone and the Missouri River, Lake Skakawea, Devil's Lake. And I said, well, I'll come down to the show. And I remember calling my stepdad. I said, hey, you know, my athletic, my high school athletics are all over with and um, always wanted to be competitive doing whatever it is. So I said, we should give these a shot. They're, you know, one day tournaments. Uh, they did a lot of like one day on a Saturday and then the Sunday was another day. But it was fun because they went to, like I said, the Missouri River, Lake Sakakawea, Devil's Lake, Big Stone. Those were the ones that we primarily had signed up for. And we thought, all right, well, let's go. And I'll never forget the first event. We went down to Big Stone and the weather was so terrible and there was no fish biting. But I think we finished, I don't know, like 30th place out of 120 or something. I thought, well, this is kind of neat. And caught a couple fish and learned a lot and went to the next event, the Missouri river. And, you know, you look at the leaderboard and I can still remember Sheldon Meidinger, Dan Steer, Jim Carroll. There was, there was a Dan Glucky was a name, Ron Sar, a lot of names from like the local kind of North Dakota, South Dakota area that you'd maybe heard of. And here we were fishing tournaments against these guys and started to catch some fish and, started to kind of expand and travel more and just um, had an absolute blast getting started that way. And that was, like I said, in the late nineties, I think 1998 or 1999 was the first time I ever fished a, a, an organized tournament. And then it just progressed, you know, to more regional events, um, given a, given a shot, you know, traveling. And then the master's walleye circuit, um, 2000, I'm going to get this probably wrong. 2008, I believe, um, had a Western division. They started up and it seemed like it was going to fit perfectly for a lot of us guys that wanted to fish the Dakotas in Western Minnesota. So we signed up for that and, um, fish with a good friend of mine, Ken Cumber out of Jamestown, North Dakota. And again, we had some success and that kind of kept growing and had a blast fishing the MWC and, um, kind of progressed to what was kind of, in my opinion, and I should maybe backtrack a little bit. I had fished some professional walleye trail events, mid two thousands. Um, I had traveled out to Lake Erie and then I fished devil's Lake, fished Lake Oahe, um, in the professional walleye trail. And then that kind of family got started. So I didn't have as much time, energy, maybe the resources, so the Masters Walleye Circuit fit a niche to be able to travel with somebody else, um, get some experience fishing these other bodies of water. Like I said, it had some success. And then I think kind of what pivoted my career um, was a thought and a process I came up with. And it would have been 2012, late 2012, early 2013. I started thinking to myself, why don't I give up fishing live bait and try to fish these national tournaments without the use of live bait and show people that you can catch fish without live bait. We can involve a lot more sponsorships. We can get Berkeley and, and a lot of those people more involved. So I called a good friend of mine, Troy Morris. I said, Troy, I got an idea for you. I said, what if we gave up live bait? We created a business where we just went exclusively without live bait and Troy right away was like, I'm oh, in, this sounds like a great idea. So 
in 2014, we launched Artificial Eyes, which basically was just kind of a movement, an organization, I guess, call it what you will. But we literally signed a contract to not use live bait. And it was really a lot of fun, um, a big challenge to, to go out all over the Midwest fishing walleyes without live bait. But it really opened our eyes and it opened a lot of other people's eyes. Um, you know, there was some trial and error for us right away. And then we got into a streak starting in 2015 where we won multiple events. Uh, we won back-to-back events on Devil's Lake. Um, we had multiple top fives on Big Stone, uh, Cass Lake. And it really kind of caught on and went kind of wild with we, – we went from 2014 through 2019, um, and I never touched a piece of live bait. And that really, I think, for myself, went from kind of, uh, I don't know, a guy that fished tournaments, uh, had some sponsorships, um, and and did that kind of stuff. But it it really put me and Troy in a different light uh, with a lot of companies, with a lot of organizations. And I think a lot of other anglers really took notice of our ability to catch fish and promote the sport of fishing without live bait. And I I do, I give a lot of credit to that movement that we started. And it's kind of funny because now we don't fish exclusively without live bait anymore or with, I can use some live bait now. And more so when we were fishing without live bait for those years, it was crazy because we felt like we had a big advantage because so many people were still dragging a minnow around real slow, maybe pulling slow death and which are all great tactics, but we kind of pioneered some of the early, you know, maybe some of the, the jig and wrap stuff and the, the vertical hard baits. Um, we were catching a lot of fish on Berkeley ripple shads everywhere we went, but we were picking off aggressive fish. I, I think it really helped us learn to pick off the best spots on a spot and made us better anglers. And then as it kind of transitioned, it was funny when we started it, hardly anybody was, was fishing without live bait. And then by about 2018, you couldn't hardly go anywhere that we went. We would drive by boats and at least one of the guys would be using a jig and wrap, a shiver minnow, a Johnny darter. Um, They're pitching stuff out all the time. And we kind of smiled. We, we laughed and felt like we had a big, big influence on a lot of those catches and a lot of the way people were starting to attack walleyes, um, you know, not putting us in any kind of a, a light as some of the greatest anglers in the world. Like, you know, I've, I've learned so much from Keith Cavias and Gary Parsons. Those have been guys that I've looked up to my entire life, but we definitely made notice that you could catch walleyes without live bait. And, Now, fast forward a couple more years, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be selected to fish the head-to-head tour a couple years ago. That was a tour um, with only 32 guys. We fished six events, and no live bait was used, and it was just a ton of fun. Everything was live-streamed. And then now, fishing the National Walleye Tour, it's kind of come full circle where 
um, being a very diversified, well-rounded angler, I think has helped and, um, had a great year last year, finished sixth for angler of the year, but th- that's kind of a, a real quick kind of synopsis of really me starting out in the orange toboggan and grandma and grandpa's house with the first word of boat all the way to, you know, traveling and fishing the national walleye tour and, and spending, a lot of days on the water now. I have a place in western Minnesota where if I'm not chasing walleyes on the tour, um, you'll find me most of the time down at the cabin and and trying to catch them on otter tail and trying to figure out different ways that they'll bite. Um, that's, that's the part about tournament angling that I can't get away from is just the challenge of every body of water, something different every day and trying to open up that puzzle and trying to put it together and figure out how you can catch them better than anyone else. I think that's, that's why I love competitive tournament angling, I guess, from my side of things. You said when you and your buddy Troy kind of made this decision, you signed a contract. Like, what was that contract? You just, you, 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 you guys both just like uh, made like a blood oath or something or like, what was the con, what was the, the legally binding contract? Yeah, to it, literally, it literally had a contract that said, you know, I Troy Morris and I Corey Heiser uh, for the, for the 2014 season, will no longer use live bait. Um, we, we took it to a notary and had it notarized with our signatures and um, had it put on our website for the whole world to see. And, you know, that's, that's, we, we wanted to make it official. It wasn't just kind of a handshake or a snicker that, you know, we weren't going to fish with live bait. We wanted to make this official and make it a big deal. Um, I, I kind of like telling one of the stories about, I remember calling the um, marketing director for Berkeley and said, I want to, I want to have a meeting with you. I got something we would like to talk to you about. And we had Berkeley sign a non-disclosure agreement um, to not be able to talk about what we were going to present to them. And that was uh, the first time I had ever went into a negotiation that way, asking someone as big as Berkeley to, uh, to have a non-disclosure, just to have a conversation with us. And uh, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, we, yeah, we were, we were very proud of uh, coming up with that and, and uh, like I said, I, I think it was it was definitely some of the most fun times of my fishing career for sure. You know, I, I guess I, I mean, I haven't been involved in the industry that that long. Like that's that's even before my time. That's not even that many years ago, <laughs> technically. But I just started working for Jason here just like a handful of years ago. So I've never even really heard about this. I'm like so intrigued by this right now. And and really like listening to the story. If somebody else that wasn't you or either of you guys telling me a story like that, the first thing that came to mind, my mind when you were saying that was like, almost like it's like a controversial thing. Almost like you're like drawing your, the line in the sand that, you know, you don't stand with anybody that fishes live bait, but it doesn't sound like it's that deal at all. It sounds like, you know, you're, you're very, you just, you just really wanted to, um, for one, it's a selling point, right? You, you, you obviously saw the business side of it, which is which is awesome. Um, you know, just, just any way that you can find a wrinkle as a professional angler to, to, to stand, um, you know, sort of out of the crowd, uh, you know, to sponsors and things like that. I think that's a brilliant, um, but not a controversial thing at all to live bait, right? Like it was just a, 
just a like a business decision. That that's exactly right, and it was funny because um, there was some controversy when we started it. Um, you know, one of the things that was a big deal, and we, it, it's still a big deal, but it seems like maybe the peak of the pressure on it was the aquatic nuisance, and you know, the states were really putting a lot of restrictions on live bait and transportation, and it was it was kind of a new thing then, and so there was some controversy because we did have some bait shops reach out to us and they weren't very appreciative of us, you know, taking the stance of fishing without live bait. But our, our stance was always, we felt like we could do it better without live bait. And and we didn't want to discourage any bait shop from selling minnows, leeches and crawlers. In fact, um, when we would get a kind of a, I won't say nasty message, but when we would get a little pressure that maybe we were heading in the wrong direction. We told every one of them, well, you, you have shelves full of Berkeley gulp and Berkeley power bait. And we're just trying to help you show other people that they'll work. And you don't have a, you know, you're not, you don't have any dead loss with a pack of gulp where you do have dead loss when it comes to a dozen leeches or um, a gallon of minnows. And we wanted people to have the confidence to be able to go out and catch them um, without live bait. And, and it was a big marketing thing. Um, it, it definitely separated us. It gave us a niche versus a lot of other anglers, you know, a, a lot of anglers when they're starting out and they want to get sponsored. I've had to have some, you know, pretty straightforward conversations with a lot of guys that why are you different than the other 2000 guys that are trying to get sponsorships? You, you've got to, you've got to be good at selling yourself and you got to be good at, at doing something different. And we felt like this, that, that did it for us was, was literally giving up live bait and just fishing, fishing with artificials. Yeah. And, and, and making it known, you know, that contract yeah. really meant something where, you know, a lot of people could say that, or a lot of people could just, you know, they could just say that they fished last season without live bait or, 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 you know, or whatever, right? Like there's, you know, some people might be known for something in particular that is, you know, an artificial, some guys are just trollers or whatever it is, but that contract sounds like it was, it was really something. So my next question is, yep. did that season or the seasons after that, like, did that whole process go exactly the way you planned it did you have like all the all the tournaments figured out what you were gonna use was there some like hard learning curves in there (laughs) like you really put yourselves on the spot then because ultimately yeah we did in fact um we didn't have it mapped out we in fact i can still remember sitting with troy talking and we're like we're gonna come up with something you know completely outlandish to catch them and while I don't feel like we ever really came up with anything completely outlandish, the, in fact, if I was going to say one thing, when we started out, we had so many different products in our boats that we were going to try and catch them on. And when we really found our niche and really found our success, it was when we narrowed it down to items that we knew would catch them. I mean, I this isn't just, anything but you you can go anywhere in the world and use a, a berkeley ripple shad and catch a walleye and i know when we got into our rhythm of doing well we always had some rods in the boats tied up tied up with berkeley ripple shads when you get into those summer months 
you have to be using vertical hard baits. I don't care if it's a jig and wrap, shiver minnow, Johnny darter, um, spoons played a big part. You know, those are all just proven techniques. And then the other thing is, is just trolling flicker shads and flicker minnows. Um, crankbaits just catch walleyes. So we really kind of interestingly, but narrowed it down to, to our wheelhouse of what we knew caught fish. And then that's where I kind of get back to. If you fish the best spots on the lake quickly with baits that will catch fish, you'll just have a lot more success. And, and I know it sounds maybe simple or I'm oversimplifying it, but that's the one thing that we really concentrated on when you didn't have live bait to just kind of drag in the rod holder, um, float down the brake line and go, Oh, I hope we catch one. When you kind of lose the confidence of getting an accidental bite and you focus in on just the key areas of where you see them and then you catch them, that really made us a lot better angler. I mean, I don't want to go on a big sales pitch about Lawrence electronics, but your electronics are a big deal. And we've ran Lawrence for years and you can't catch what isn't there. So I don't care if you got live bait, if you got the best artificials, if, if there's no walleyes or you're not going to catch them. So this really kind of pushed our electronic usage and, and just made us better at trusting what you're seeing on those and gave us an opportunity to catch a lot of fish quick like you know um we were fortunate too i i still say i mean troy was a phenomenal angler um had a ton of success fishing the the old flw walleye trail um and so it was you know it was a great team effort and we had a lot of fun catching a lot of walleyes this episode of the jmo podcast is brought to you by Devil's Lake Tourism. Head to devilslakend.com for all the information that you need to plan your next adventure on Devil's Lake. You will find places to stay, restaurant options, events, and things to do going on in the area. Now, the fishing seasons in North Dakota never shut down. So really, any day of the year could be a great day to fish on Devil's Lake for walleye, perch, northern pike. The fishing on Devil's Lake is as good as it's ever been, and now's the time. Whether you've never been there before and you're just trying to plan your first ever trip, you're starting from scratch, or you've been there a dozen times, either way, head to devilslakend.com. The link is in the description, and you'll find all the information that you need to plan your next adventure on Devil's Lake. You've already expressed you feel like it just made you, it forced you to be a better angler so you make your decisions totally differently. I want to kind of dig into some of that stuff a little bit or even just like stories, um, you know, that you can remember that where some of those light bulbs were really going off for you guys, but really like, oh my gosh, it, it, it like at the NWT level, it, there should be like some kind of a, uh, sort of like an incentive program that if you fish your first three seasons in the NWT as a pro on the pro side with artificial bait only, um, you know, I mean like that would just breed better anglers. Well, and to be honest, it's just like the bass world, right? A lot of us Northern anglers don't understand that you go down South and people are all over fishing bass with live bait, but the tournament circuits, they don't use live bait at all. Why is that? Because, you need to promote the sport. You need to promote the baits and need to let these companies sell product. You know, that's, if, if you remember the old in fisherman professional walleye trail, a lot of their tournament was to help sell magazines, sponsorships, and those kinds of things. 
So it worked hand in hand. And, and that's what the tournament trails, in my opinion, besides giving a platform for us competitive guys, it, they should be a, um, an avenue to sell a lot of product. And that's how you're going to get sponsorship is by selling product. And I just have said it for a long time. You know, there's never been a leech sponsor that's paid millions of dollars that's right. into the industry. And, and I'm not picking cause I'm telling you, a leech is a very good way to catch a catch a walleye. However, we're, we're we're talking about apples and oranges. We're talking about the competitive walleye scene, where as anglers we want the opportunity to make some money, and the best way to make some money is to have these companies pay more, and and the best way to have them pay more is to catch and win tournaments using their products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you are a tournament angler. And you rely solely on your income of tournament winnings. You're probably not going to have a whole lot of meat in your spaghetti sauce for a while, right? <laughs> you are exactly right. You'll be you'll be eating your ragu plain <laughs> on some macaroni. You barely have any spaghetti, even. You just be using macaroni. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're 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 right, and that was one of the angles we wanted. And I have fought long and hard for many years to try and get national tournament trails to go without live bait um you know number one i feel as professional anglers yeah there's a time that live bait works better but as professional anglers if we want to be the best of the best we need to figure it out without live bait and we need to help help the berkeleys and the rapalas and the northland fishing tackle we need to help all those companies sell their products and they're going to sell a, a heck of a lot more if uh we're out catching fish without live bait so yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like an incentive program is not a crazy idea. Like you no, do it, boat it, inspections, so like if you get uh, your boat like you know extra inspected to make sure there isn't a live nightcrawler in there, you know, like if you go and then uh, you know, inspection at the end of the day, like you know maybe you sign up for it. Like you know if you want live bait, you can take it. But if you uh, if you sign up for you know the be the artificial guy, like there sh- there could easily be like an incentive program that you know, somebody yeah. would pay for. Yeah, you would hope so. And, you know, it seems like um, I thought that there was some, maybe some momentum for that kind of stuff. And I, I don't know if where, where it's at now that, you know, with rising gas prices and maybe an economy that's headed towards a recession, I think most of these tournament trails right now are just trying to get enough participation to continue yeah. to, to be successful. You know, or just stay alive. Yeah. Yep. Stay yeah. alive. And it's, it's hard because they're, they're still traditional, tournament anglers that that want to rely on live bait and again i don't have anything against any live bait i love bait shop guys um i have dear friends that own bait shops and i I always chuckled when when people said we were trying to put them out of business i'm like no i got a lot of friends that rely on so yeah and like you got kids and a family right like what do you you know this isn't this is this is a different conversation we're talking competitive high level competitive tournament angling when you take your when you take your family and friends out fishing, right? Like you're probably still dragging leeches or yeah. minnows or whatever, right? Well, and and what's what's more fun than watching a bobber go down with a you know yeah. you got a leech dangling below a bobber? That walleye pulls that bobber down that one foot, and you get to set the hook. I mean, I don't care if you're two years old, six years old, or forty five years old. That is fun. I mean, that's still a great time. Um, you know, if I'm if if I've got an opportunity to shore fish. On the Red River, some more than likely we're going to have to try to use a, 
use a, a night crawler or maybe use a minnow in the spring or the fall. And, and that's great. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Again, we're talking about high dollar national walleye events where, you know, I, we wanted to push the envelope to try and get additional funds and additional opportunities for all the anglers. That's, that's the other thing is we, we started it out obviously to, to try and promote and help ourselves, but the end goal is still would be for everyone to have a better, better opportunity when fishing tournaments to be, to be fishing for, for these organ, you know, for these big, um, these big corporate dollars that, you know, that's, that's where I still hope that uh, tournament walleye angling will head is there's a lot of, a lot of money we're fishing for with on someone else's dime. You got a lot of years of fishing left, but are you, are you developing your business plan to be a tournament director someday? <laughs> You know, it's funny, like over the years, I've, I've had notebooks full of different ideas with, with, uh, different tournament ideas and how to run, but I, I still just love the competitive side of things. Um, the, it, it, taking off in the morning on a, on a tournament morning, there's still no better feeling than the, the jitters you get at six thirty. you're sitting there and your whole game plan is kind of racing through your mind and trying to plan out, hoping a fish will bite and, People laugh at me, but every day I go out in a tournament, when I catch that first one, and you can ask any one of my co-anglers, I'll look at my co-angler and like, hey, we didn't get skunked today. We caught one. And I don't care if I'm on the world's best bite or not. I still I, I still just feel so blessed every time I can catch one fish. And um, it, it's funny to think of it that way. It's been 20-some years of, of fishing tournaments, and I still uh, – I still feel like I'm lucky to catch one every day I go out. So I don't know the the thrill of those tournaments and just the competitiveness just continues to drive me still to this day. Right on, man. Right on. So I kind of want to pick apart your confidence a little bit, you know, talking about fishing artificial baits, going back to that season where you signed that contract, you put yourselves in a spotlight, you know, with, with companies in the industry that you're, you and your tournament partner were fishing artificial baits. You had a certain level of confidence already going in. You probably had an idea just because that's how fishing goes and the type of angler that you are, that there was a learning curve that was going to happen. Tell me a story about that. Like, when did some light bulbs going off start going off in that season where it maybe exceeded your expectations? I'm talking about personally with the fishing well, and, and sort of your decision making and how it changed you as an angler. Well, some of the funny things were some of the techniques that maybe had been used by other anglers for years that, you know, maybe I hadn't used because it's just not a Dakota thing. And we were out on the Bay of Green Bay and I had a good friend tell me, you got to, you got to be trying hair jigs. And I said, all right, definitely got to have hair jigs in and got to try them. And I guess we're going to try them without tipping them with anything. You know, you just going to throw this piece of hair out there and, I'll never forget we go to Green Island and about five minutes into pitching hair jigs on Green Island, I got a fish on and I look at Troy and I'm like, I think it's a pretty good one. Well, we get up, get up next to the boat and it's about a 24, 25 incher. So we thought, well, this is pretty neat. Well, about two casts later, I catch another one. This one's a, this one's a legit 25. So I think the next cast or the cast after that, I have another big one on, probably 27, 28 inch, and I lose it. But I look at Troy and I snicker at him. I go, you know, Troy, 
because now mind you, these are the first two fish I've ever caught on a hair jig. It's 2014. I've been fishing for 15 years and I've never used a hair jig, right? I'm fine. I can I can admit this now. And I look at Troy and I said, you know, Troy, if I need a fish in the mid-20s, I'm probably just going to put a hair jig on. I think my average fish right now is about 24 and a half inches. And we start laughing, right? Because this is like, we're making fun of ourselves. Like, this is just, this is like a light bulb thing. Like, this hair jig thing really does work. Like, how come we haven't used this? Well, then fast forward a couple years later, we're at the NTC in Escanaba, Michigan. And truth be told, I hadn't been throwing ripping wraps. And so we're on day two of the NTC tournament at Escanaba. Now, two-thirds of the field zeroed on the first day. Horrible tough fishing. It was late May. Fish were coming out of spawn, and they were just locked, John. Well, the first fish I've ever caught on a ripping wrap was a 32-incher. And we have it on film, and it was the biggest fish of the NTC tournament. 200 and some boats. We won the Big Fish Award. But the funniest part about this is about 15 minutes after I catch this fish, I'm still shaking like, like a leaf. I look at Troy and I said, you know what, Troy? If I need a fish about 32 inches, I'll probably just throw a rip and wrap. Because <laughs> I'm average. My average catch on a rip and wrap is 32 inches. And we started to laugh. And then we started to think about the air jig story from a few years before that. So it just, you know, you talk about, eyes getting opened and, and expanding your range. Those are two specific examples I can give you where potentially if we were to have been using live bait, we maybe wouldn't have been using either technique, but because we had to push our envelope, I literally became a hair jig fanatic. Um, I've caught so many walleyes now on Otter Tail Lake in fact, all the people that are down in my campground, they all have hair jigs now because I couldn't keep the walleyes off of hair jigs for about two seasons. And it's hard to not have a rip and wrap. In fact, last year in um, Chamberlain, on the day one of the tournament, I found a little sand rise and my co-angler and I proceeded to whack big walleyes on, um, on uh, rip and wraps. And Ended up, I think, in the first day of that tournament, I was maybe in seventh place, something like that. It was in the top ten for sure, and and uh, it, it's just funny because, like you you said, is there specific examples? And and those are two two things I can tell you that I hadn't fished until I committed to fishing without live bait, and now it would be hard pressed to not have a lipless rattle bait trying to catch a try to catch a walleye and I've always got hair jigs close by always. So kind of, kind of funny how that goes where, you know, I basically forced to use them. And then once we use them, it was definitely something in the arsenal that I would never, never leave home without. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the stuff like that's the stuff that I dwell on. You know, these interviews is, um, you know, everybody, you know, I love getting recommendations about setups and, you know, some other technical information, but it's really just the confidence that I wish I could tap into from everybody that I have on this show. And I love that because <laughs> like, it, you know, it, it's easy to say, you know, we talk about how do you build confidence? Well, go find a bite that's going nuts. Go find a bite where there's a thousand fish and everybody knows, you know, some, you know, some community hole on a, on a 
their home lake. You pick the best day of the year to go fishing, but you're talking tournament angling where you don't get to choose. You're, you're fishing brand new water. You know, you're, you're 500 miles from home and you don't get to choose the weather. You don't get to choose the tournament day or anything like that. And you're trying to build that level of confidence. And it's like, so it's really, it's inspiring and, but it's, it's tremendous to learn from just to hear you telling those stories. Like, man, well, and it's funny because I think all of us get stuck, whether whether you're a recreational fisherman or a tournament, we all get stuck in our ruts and our comfort zone. And I will tell you, that's uh, when I talk about going to new places and the new challenges, that's my one of my favorite things about tournament angling is pushing that envelope of using techniques that maybe aren't something that you're more accustomed to using in the Dakotas. You know, I, I cashed a check last year using hand lines. I'd never hand lined in my entire life. Um, I dug them out, I think in 2000, like 12 or 13, I borrowed some, used them for like a half hour, got completely frustrated. And last year in the Detroit river, I ended up cashing a check and two out of the three walleyes that I weighed came hand lining, which again, if, if it wasn't for tournament angling and traveling across the United States, you know, we wouldn't wouldn't push ourselves to, to try these things and, and ultimately end up having success doing some stuff that's out of your, out of your comfort zone. Was it more of a challenge to take that sort of like business strategy, fishing strategy on your home body of water where you had a bunch of memories, probably catching fish on, uh, you know, slow death, probably, you know, had a bunch of memories with Creek Chubbs. Like were, were you now, was your home body of water a brand new beast or, or was it uh, more of a, more of a traveling thing that was harder to break? Everywhere was everywhere and anywhere was brand new because you started to look at a map completely different. You know, you, it was funny because as much as we could troll, Troy and I felt like, with artificial baits, we had a bigger advantage in the tournament scene if we could keep a rod in our hand. Well, so you pretty, we would pretty much eliminate flats. We were looking for points, cups, tips, and we were attacking what we felt like, you know, was the best spot on the rock pile, was the best spot on a spine that would come out. Um, you know, an otter tail, I remember one summer, Every cup I could find on the lake where the wind was blowing into, I could go in there and throw a four-inch power bait minnow and just whack them. I mean, just snap jigging four-inch plastics and just destroying the walleyes, which I would never would have done, you know, years prior. I would have maybe meandered down the shoreline or worked the whole corner. But, I mean, we are specifically, like, as deep into the cups as I could get, and then there always was weeds in there. And it just just dissecting it that way. I mean, big stone, when we used to go there back in the day, you would find a shoreline and just kind of meander down the shoreline and try and catch them. And when Troy and I went there without live bait, it was like, we just want to fish the tip of where the rocks were. And we found the, the highest percentages and we'd fish 10 spots a day in the tournament, just knowing if we land on them, we're going to catch them so fast and have success you know, there was other anglers that would see us in practice and be like, you guys, you guys didn't even look like you were hardly interested. And we're like, really, we didn't, we didn't care where we caught them in pre-fish because we had so much confidence that if we fish the best spots in the lake, 
if it took us 10 spots, we're going to run into them at some point. And that's just kind of the mindset we ended up with instead of, you know, dragging a, dragging a nightcrawler behind a spinner or something for, for a mile. Like that, that was just not even going to enter our mindset that we wanted to fish that way. So we were going to look at a map and look at our GPS units and go, if there's any kind of life around this point, we're going to fish maybe only 10, 12 casts. But if one of those 10, 12 casts, we should be able to catch them. And if we can't, we're just going to go to the next spot that looks just like it. And, you know, that was, that was kind of the way we dissected it. You know, Troy, the first year we won Devil's Lake MWC in 2015, Troy had went out and mapped where all the big rock were. And we fished the, the biggest rocks transitioning into mud on Devil's Lake. And literally, we won the tournament. We never seen a recreation or a tournament boat the first day of the tournament. And we had like 34 or 35 pounds on five, five fish. I mean, we opened up water on that lake that nobody had been fishing. And now I kind of smile and snicker because when I go up there, if you go up there in July or August right now, even September, October, there's a guy on every one of the spots that we basically had caught walleyes on for about three years without any pressure. And now every one of those spots has boats on them and they're all jig wrapping. They're all throwing Johnny darters and they're all catching big walleyes. And, and that's cool to see. It obviously changes again and it goes full circle because pretty tough to win a tournament at any one of those spots because there's so much pressure on them. And that was the other thing that we always felt like, you know, big walleyes are like big deer they don't like pressure. They don't like spooky and, and there's very few of them. So if you're catching them all the time, or if there's people pressuring them, you're just going to have a heck of a time trying to catch those big baskets and tournaments, unless you can find something again. And and I'm sure we're going to see it cycle all the way around where there's going to be a lot more untapped stuff, especially with forward facing sonar. Now, Um, you know, I'm, I'm just loving that. And that's opening my eyes to a lot of stuff where walleyes are swimming, where you would never think of catching them. And, and that's what we're starting to see now. I mean, it's, it's crazy just to see where those walleyes are swimming. So as our closer here, man, I, I'm just really enjoying this Corey, by the way. Um, I, uh, it's just, uh, this is just the type of stuff that an amateur's amateur like myself, just, it's just such a great story. It's something that, you know, I mean, I got too many plans for this summer personally <laughs> with live bait, but I feel like you're inspiring me that me and my buddies are going to have to like come to some sort of agreement together. We're going to sign a contract here in a couple of years where we're going <laughs> to, we're going to fish a couple of full seasons with no live bait. I want to know what it feels like. I want to put myself through that to it. I, I just, I want I just want to go through all those tough times. It would be it would be tougher for me than it was for you. You definitely uh, had a more experience. But that being said, I just I want to tap into some of that some of that reward, like what it feels like to have uh, you know a lifetime average on a rip and wrap of thirty two inches in a walleye. <laughs> you know, like because like you said, the real point there isn't that like yeah everybody knows big fish get caught on the great lakes you know rip and wraps blah blah we've come that far now but you wouldn't have had that particular life experience potentially if you would have been considering live bait in the boat that day 
you it just that that you know, that 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 is just such a that's the real point there it's like it, it, and it's like putting yourself in a position to be outside your comfort zone a little bit and i think it's more outside of you know the average angler's comfort zone than it probably was for you guys at that time but but man so now you've kind of graduated through that anyways you've graduated through that part of your career you um you know that contract has has lived its duration and um you know, maybe sometimes, uh, like you said, sometimes you now in your career, you, you probably have live bait in the boat every once in a while. Like, but how, how much like now, now bringing live bait back into your boat in some situations, like, like, where are you at now with it? Are you still, do you still feel like the majority of your game is really influenced or related to that span of your tournament career, that, that whole like artificial phase? I would, yeah, most, most every day I prefer to not use live baits still. Um, but there are, I think opportunities using live bait where like last year I had some examples in Western Minnesota where I was fishing some, walleyes that were on top of weeds and I was throwing big Creek chubs and big red tails. And it was an absolute riot watching, watching these walleyes swim on top of the weeds and then hit these big red tails. And, but, but when it comes to like day in and day out, I love fishing without live bait. It's just, it's just so hassle free. I feel like you can cover so much water so fast. Um, not dealing with, you know, we get complacent in my opinion, when we use live bait, when, when you are dragging a minnow or you're dragging a leech, you just feel like at any second you could get a bite. So you're just patient that way where when you're fishing artificials, if it, it, it just, it's a different mindset of like, I got to make these fish bite. And so you fish, you know, faster, you fish, like you said, more, more high productive areas. And it seems like the attention span and the attention to details is a lot higher than just kind of meandering around trying to catch one. And I, I still believe the old adage is true. 10%, you know, uh, what do they say? 90% of the walleyes are in 10, 10% of the, the body of water. And right, I, and I right, believe right. that. Yep. I believe that because there's so much dead water out there. There's so much water that's just void of life and vacant of fish. And, you got to focus on those key areas and, and use high percentage presentations that you believe in. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, like I'm writing this stuff down because like selfishly, this show is like for me, big time, like (laughs) it changed. It didn't just change, you know, your, your strategy of like your baits. It's not just so simple as like, you know, going out for a day or a weekend or a month and just, and fishing all your own memories and your spots um, that you, you know, that you have fished live bait before, but now you're just trying to make it work with artificial bait. It taught you how to read a map differently. It taught, taught you how to manage your time way differently. You know, it, 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 you get so much more in tune with your gear and your stuff and like, and your own personal strengths. Um, that's the stuff, man. That is just, that's the stuff. I love it. Well, one key thing that I guess I'll even bring up is kind of funny back in the old live bait days, you know, you used to have maybe three or four rods in your boat ready to go. You know, maybe it was different size jigs just to match up with the minnows. 
But I'll tell you, one of the keys that Troy and I said right away is you look at bass guys and they've got 14, 16, 18 rods. And the reason for that is they're all rigged up differently. And that's one thing that where I did start to fish that way, instead of changing out, you know, from a ripple shad to a four inch power bait minnow to, you know, the new curly bones to a bonefish, like now all of a sudden you've got maybe eight rods all with different plastics on them. So you're not digging in the bottom of the boat, you know, trying to figure out, you, you can just go and make, you can make 10 casts with six different baits and you can do it really quick. Like, and it's kind of that bass fishing mentality. If you watch bass tournament fishing, those guys have 10, 12, 14 rods on their deck at all times. And we, we kind of started doing that where instead of changing out baits, you're just grabbing a different rod with a different presentation and different setup and trying to catch them on that same spot. So, you know, I feel like that, you know, made us more efficient as well. And, you know, that, that changes that mindset as well. Instead of having two or three rods, you went to having 12 to 14 rods and reels. Do you ever feel like, this will be my last fishing question, I promise. <laughs> but do you ever feel like when you get on a, when you get on a bite and, you know, you've got, you've got your 10 rods rigged up. May, say you catch one or two fish in the first five casts. But, and you know there's more fish in there. Do you feel, do you get so much confidence? Like, do you, do you feel like you just got to keep pitching that one bait into that spot because you already caught fish or do you already, you already caught two fish on it? Or do you feel like throwing a second or a third option? For me, I need to build more confidence in continuing to give them that smorgasbord. Well, and that's one of the things that I love taking other people fishing because if I catch one, say like on a ripple shad, I'll tell the guy with me, Hey, throw a ripple shad in there. See if you can catch one. And almost every time while he's doing that, I start changing my baits up. I want to see how wide, you know, how much more I can build my confidence on different baits and different presentations. So that's a big deal for me. That's, that's why I love having multiple presentations set up. I, I want to get, the people with me catching fish. And as soon as we can figure that out, then I like to expand and start trying different things. And again, it's just another way to develop confidence. If there's fish biting and you catch them on something different, like you actually referenced, a lot of times you'll catch them better on something else, or you'll catch bigger fish on something else, even though they were, you know, you, you, you open the piece of the puzzle with one particular bait or one particular color by switching it up, you'll actually have better results a lot of times than you even expected. And yeah. That's one of my because how things. often, how often we give ourselves way too much credit if we think that our first pass through, we are we are uh, delivering the absolute best option for them that they're going <laughs> to want. Like it's so we're so like arrogant if we think our uh, whatever it is that we throw in as our first option and we get bit, like automatically, you know, just, we just give ourselves way too much credit that there's no room for improvement. You know, here, here's a favorite story. You go to any tournament and the first place guy will say, you know what? You had to have blue chrome in the water today or you couldn't catch a fish. Second place guy goes, you know what? I used fire tiger all day. If you didn't have fire tiger, you weren't getting bit. Third place guy will be like, Oh, purple. Purple is the only color they'd bite today. And I always laughed about that because we all get stuck in this rut where it had to be or it was only going to be that way. But then you go to a tournament 
and the top five guys are all using some different color or some different bait, but they're all swearing. It's the only thing that would work that day. So if that doesn't open your mind and open your eyes to how we do get stuck in way too many ruts and we do think we've got it figured out when there's still so much more to learn. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm glad we did this, man. We're like way over on time. So we got we're going to close this out. <laughs> But we're going to have to do this again. I'm so glad that uh, we had a chance to tell that story or at least, you know, this portion of of your story here on the first time having you on because I think that's a big deal for the industry. It's really cool. And to make the point that it wasn't a controversial thing, it wasn't like, you know, live bait guys and artificial guys drawing a line in the sand anywhere. We're all the same. Everything's the same. Yep. But it it was just a cool business decision that you guys made that worked out for you, but it also had uh you know kind of an explosive benefit to just teaching you new ways to be super dangerous as an angler and i think you do not have to be a tournament angler to strive to be better all the time just like that correct and and uh yeah that is just awesome i'm gonna be thinking about a lot of this conversation for a very long time so i appreciate that anyways we can close this out unless unless there's just something to burn in a burning a hole in your pocket that's another story you have to tell we can close this out um you know promote whatever promote yourself your socials your sponsors whatever you want to promote we'll close it out nope i sure appreciate the opportunity you can go to Corey heiser fishing on facebook um we've got lots of stuff going on but i i sure appreciate the opportunity and you guys are doing a great job all right man we'll talk to you you bet bye Once again, this episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Devil's Lake Tourism. Head to devilslakend.com to find out what's going on in the community of Devil's Lake and the surrounding area and what they have to offer. Who knows, you might just discover your next adventure.